What's up, what's up? At last, another episode of the At Last Podcast brought to you by the At Vantage Podcast Network. It's Chris Bates here, joined with my colleagues and friends, Adam Katie and Kristen Ross, and another special guest that I will let Dr. Ross introduce. Talk to us, Chris. It is my pleasure today to welcome uh, Ted Gerard. Athletic Training Program Director from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, who also uh, completed both his undergrad and graduate work from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Oh. And this is an individual who truly, truly, truly understands individualism and teaching each student athletic trainer as an individual and not a wholesale effort, um, truly using his cultural competence um, to reach each individual athletic trainer in the athletic training program. Without further ado, I'll let Ted go ahead and introduce himself to the At Last podcast. Welcome, Ted. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I really do appreciate a talk, uh, chance to talk to you guys. And, um, you know, I, uh, I've been educating athletic trainers well, for a long time. You know, ever <laughs> since, you know, I became certified in 1995 and I started mentoring athletic trainers pretty much right after that. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think that, you know, that's the, I don't know, one of the greatest gifts we have is to educate others. And, uh, you know, when I, when I took over the program at UNLV, now it's 12 years ago, um, I really was disappointed with uh, some of the athletic training education that had been out there that I'd seen and how it was very much just, you know, we're going to teach this and everyone's going to learn the same thing. And it's going to be very cookie cutter. And we're going to follow this exact curriculum to the, to the T. And if you don't, you know, conform to it, then, well, kind of too bad for you. And uh, it, 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 that model just didn't seem to, to work in athletic training. It may work in other places, but it just didn't seem to work in athletic training to me. And, uh, you know, since, since I've been at UNLV uh, teaching, you know, we've had, a, I, I think, a very successful program. And, you know, our graduates are are all over the place doing good, good work as athletic trainers. And many of them, you know, I would consider like my peers now, and I'm super proud of that. And, you know, we've got lots of the you know former graduates now that, are, that have their PhDs like uh, Dr. Ross and others. And, you know, I'm just really excited that uh, I've been able to be part of that. Uh, and I don't know if you guys know, but, you know, UNLV is one of the most diverse campuses uh, in the United States diverse colleges in the United States and our, and our program. I had no idea. It's great. I think we were rated number two the last three years in the, in the country for diversity at uh, not, not in the athletic training program, but the university as a whole. And our program obviously uh, emulates that. And, uh, you know, I, I find it really exciting to be part of such a diverse university and a diverse culture. And it's only made me a better teacher and uh, makes my students better. And, you know, and, and in the world of athletic training where we're, where we're struggling with diversity big time. And, um, you know, I'm really proud to be part of a, a program that's, I guess, going against that grain. So thank you. Absolutely. We're, we're trying to go against that grain. And, um, today we want to talk about the impact of degree inflation on recruitment and retention of students of color, because we know Kristen has shared with you that, I mean, excuse me, Kristen has shared with us that you guys are doing that sort of thing. And so we want to kind of dig into how 
this change in our profession, moving to a master's entry level program is going to negatively impact, potentially negatively impact students of color. It's, it's, you know, who knows exactly what's going to happen, right? You know, it's really interesting. Our, you know, credo in athletic training has, for the last 15 years has been evidence-based practice. But these decisions to, to change to a master's program, to me, seem to lack evidence. And it was more of, well, you know what? If we do this, maybe this will happen. If we do this, maybe this will happen. Instead of really thinking about the problems we have in athletic training and you know, I, I, the biggest problem I see in athletic training, and, and there, there's a lot of problems. The biggest problem I see is ultimately that the, the profession itself is not respected. And I was in some early meetings, um, you know, before this proposed change happened or the change happened. And that was one of the arguments. Well, you know, we need to do this to, uh, for the profession to, you know, be kind of at a higher level and have people respect us. And I stood up in the meeting. I said, I don't believe that, right? Because the degree does not make you who you are. Who we are is who we are, right? And the, and the analogy I always go at is if, God forbid, right now, I keel over and have a heart attack and the paramedics come in my house, is there a lack of respect for a paramedic? Nope. No. You know why? Because they have an associate's degree? No. It's because how they've acted throughout the, throughout a generation of paramedics, right? It's what they do. It's how they interact with people. It's how they act professionally. That is what makes a profession. It's not the degree, right? I would contend that other professions that have changed did it for altruistic reasons. You know, um, this is, I'm going to say some things that are, are, are probably not, I don't know. These are, these are my opinions, by the way, Good. This is not the opinion of, all right. of UNLV or any, 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 anything else. I'm also the chair of the state board of athletic training. <laughs> let it, let it fly, Ted. This is perfect. Yep. But I think that the, you know, for example, the, the physical therapist, when they went to the doctoral degree, they did it so they could call themselves doctor. They didn't do it for, you know, to better, in my opinion, to better their education because I've been around uh, physical therapy clinics and the treatment level hasn't changed. Correct. Right. Their knowledge hasn't changed that drastically. You know, and if you think about even about in, in, in the changes in, in our programs, we're going to be teaching the same stuff, right? The curriculum is the same. It's just the degree at the end is different. And, oh, yeah, well, you know, there's this, a few little tweaks along the way. And, though, and to be honest with you, I think the tweaks were unnecessary to begin with. And they were, they, the tweaks were done to make it, you know, make it better, to make it look better rather than be better. And, um, you know, it's frustrating. Yeah. You can probably sense the frustration in my voice. It's frustrating that a bunch of academics got together and made this decision rather than people in the trenches like yourselves as athletic trainers and, um, and, and, and really got down to it and talked to like athletic administrators at high schools, like where most of our athletic trainers are working. Yep. It, it, is someone having a master's degree as an entry level going to be better or worse for them or you know, for their school? No, there's no difference. Right. And they're not going to pay any more money. I could tell you that right now. I've looked at some contracts and, there's not going to be any difference. And if there's a difference, it's going to be like a thousand dollars, like a year in salary. And, you know, so if we, if we, if we jump into ex- inclusionism or exclusionism, 
I think that we're, we're playing a, a nasty game here that we may lose. And what I mean by we is our profession may lose. And, um, you know, once again, I, I, I shouldn't say some of these things, but I am fearful for the future of our profession because of this change. And I, I think this was a gamble that didn't need to, to take place. And we should have let the market decide in some ways, right? We had entry-level master's programs. There was, a, there was a handful of them 10 years ago. And if, if that was the way to go, if truly it was the way to go, it would have happened naturally, not via um, governance. Yep. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of where I stand on this. Well, I like your um, analogy of let the market decide, because I think that probably would have been the best approach, or at least that's how Adam feels. But we're past that, obviously, right? So we got we to gotta go with the flow to, to some extent, right? You have to. Um, but I think it's important to have this conversation that we want to talk about today is how is that going to negatively impact students of color? Because I think it will. I guarantee it will. Yeah. I feel personally a little bit conflicted because I'm very pro education and um but I, I I agree with a lot of your points of of that we didn't likely need a master's degree to serve the purpose of of what a lot of people in the NATA has said. I one hundred percent think that there wasn't enough um research and timing to make the decision and especially not in the lens of how is this gonna negative impact students of color disproportionately. Although if you look on the NETA's website, they will say that there was plenty of research and there was this third party that um, was consulted with and, and that all these things were thought of. And it just doesn't really seem. That all right. Way. Let me look. Let me wiggle up in here real quick. Don't jump to, in here. to that point, Adam, can can we talk a little bit about because I know that I'm ignorant about some of these things and apparently I'm, I was making a lot of assumptions that that I'm I'm, I'm starting to wonder uh, have some have some concerns about because the assumption is when going through something like this there is some research done and people are doing this so I'm actually curious to know about this third party and we don't we don't have to know a whole lot of details about the third party but what were their conclusions in terms of <laughs> we can make some good guesses that folks might not have thought about how these things are going to impact people of color and, you know, some of the other things we'll get into. But let's just have, can, can any of us do it? Does anyone know how it's going to positively impact the profession based on the research and based on the due diligence that the powers that be, you know, went through that we're, t- you know, can, can, can we just talk about that a little bit for the listeners as well as for myself to enlighten us a bit? What are they even saying are the pros as to why we want to do this? Ted, you're up. Because I have my opinion, I have my opinions, right? Well, there, there was lots of anecdotal reasons, right? Number one was, you know, in 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 the world of healthcare, we needed meet more mature students, and people weren't mature graduating at twenty two and twenty three and twenty four. I once again disagree, right? Uh, once again, you could be an EMT graduating out of high school. The one, the degree does not make you more mature. It's your experiences in life that make you more mature and the right. programs right. can help uh, help with those experiences in life. I know lots of 35, 40 year olds that are not mature. Talk about right? that. Right. So, you know, I, I know some people that are retired. They're not mature. Right. <laughs> so I think that that, that was, that was one. 
Um, or how about professionalism too, right? So to the yep. point of maturity. I, I, put them to, I put them together. Yeah, exactly, right? Because you can also teach professionalism, which I think some of these programs do a good job with, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, and go then, ahead. I, and I think that you know the this was cast in a, a stereotypical of this generation, right? Uh, the younger generation is immature and not professional. And we, but if you think about that, 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 that argument's been going on forever, right? That the younger folks, they, they, they don't have this ability. And it's true. There, there are younger folks that don't have that ability, but once again, the, the programs can teach them that and their mentors along the way can teach them that. Number two was that, you know, this would increase salaries. Mm-hmm. And, I just don't see that bearing out. If, if anything, I'm seeing an entry-level person's salary be decreased significantly. And what I mean by that is the internship phenomenon that's happening now. You know, it used to be you graduated, uh, pretty, pretty common graduated into a graduate assistantship where you actually got a little bit of money and you got your school paid for. Now, those are going away and it's going to internships. And so you graduate with your master's degree and you know, you got an entry level master's. You don't have any experience getting paid the same as an entry level, a bachelor's, right? Oh, if or, you're lucky, if but lucky. really to get, to get something maybe a little bit more decent, you think, Oh, I got to do an internship. So I can just tell you at UNLV, we have no more graduate assistantships in our athletics program. They have interns, but they pay, I don't even know, like twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 for the, for a year to come work as an intern. And ultimately they're just working. Right. There's very little internship going on. And it's not just at UNLV. This is a this is across the country. This so they're is actually practicing. practicing. They're practicing. They're licensed. Right. At least, you know, yeah, everywhere with California. Yeah, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> they're, they're, they're licensed certified uh, people that are actually out there making less money. Right. And they're, and they're not even getting the benefit of having their school paid for, you know. So, it, yeah. So let, let's pause on that impact, Ted, because um, that's thousands of GA positions that are now gone. And for people that come from uh, underserved communities that there's financial constraints to them obtaining education, oftentimes a graduate assistantship is a great way to essentially get a free education. But now that doesn't exist. So the only way you can get to your master's degree, if you're a person that does not come from a wealthy background, is you have to pay for this master's degree and then and then hit the workforce. So there's a big loss in potential higher education for people who are not coming from wealthy backgrounds. And we've seen a plethora of evidence in many uh, you know socioeconomic fields of study that people who come from underserved communities are majority uh, of people of color, yep. and thus they're going to have. Uh, less opportunity to get a master's degree in the profession of athletic training specifically than those who come from a background of money. Because even with the bachelor's degree, there was still a big gap that had to be overcome. And I think strides were made to help overcome that stuff. But then it's like, it's almost like the the gap starts to narrow and now we've just kind of expanded it even more. Well, and there's, a lot, there's a lot more programs for for people of color and people from underserved communities in to get a bachelor's degree. Right. There is a lot less of those opportunities at the, uh, at a post baccalaureate level. 
we've partnered with online-therapy.com, a complete counseling toolbox where you get all the support and tools you need to be happier based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Head to opportune.at slash online therapy to get started for free and enjoy 20% off your first month of therapy. Can we talk those numbers for a second just so we can have an idea of the landscape? Do we know those numbers? You know, I'm just thinking I can, I can only really speak to Nevada. Okay. Cause that's, you know, that's what I know the most in Nevada. If you graduate from a Nevada high school and you have over a B average, we have something called the millennium scholarship and it's awesome. It's from the tobacco money from years ago. The state did something well here. And basically if you graduate from a Nevada high school, with a 3.0 GPA or above, you get four years of university for almost nothing. Major. Wow. Like it's like a thousand dollars, $1,500 a year is what you get to pay. Got it. Wow. Right. But that is only for your undergraduate program. Hmm. So now on top of that, let's say now you got to do a master's program and, you know, and, and the master's education is drastically more expensive. Right. So I had to, as part of some work I had to do at the university, I had to run the numbers for every master's level program in the Western United States and how much tuition was going to cost. Because we're trying to compare UNLV to others. I mean, I'll just throw this out at at y'all. What do you think the average cost for a two-year master's program in athletic training would cost if you were out of state? Thirty thousand. Or, or if you were at a private institution. So those are those are the same numbers, out of state or private. I would say between sixty and eighty thousand. Yeah, you got the cheat sheet, bro. No, I'm just. (laughs) He's 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 very close. That's crazy. Between 60 and 80 grand. Okay. That's crazy. So because what ended up happening was we took all this content that we want, that we had to teach in, in this curriculum and you can't fit it into, well, you can't fit it into 32 credits, right? Which a typical master's program was most of the programs are they average 60 credits, a master's, a master's, degree or a master's credit costs about 1.5% or 1.5 times more than an undergraduate credit. So just think about that. How many, how many students not, and I'm not even talking students uh, that are ethnically diverse. I'm saying just people can come up with an, with $80,000 to do a master's degree, or even let's say on the low end, 60,000 to do a master's degree for a job in the end and we know the national average, it's $42,000 yep. for an athletic trainer, right? So now, and that's just your master's program. And that's assuming you got a, a sweetheart of a deal in your undergrad program, which not everybody gets, right? Right. You could be a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt for a job at the end that's going to pay you $42,000. You will never get out of that debt. Never. Yeah, that's what's happening to people. It is. and Constantly. And, and it's happening in other professions and other areas, but it's always been like, well, you know, at the end of the rainbow, are they, you're you going to have a job that's going to pay you a hundred grand or 150 grand and you'll be able to pay that back. You know, the debt associated with it is getting very close to going to PA school, mm. right? The debt, the, the debt numbers are very, very similar when you look at it, but a PA is coming out and making a hundred grand easily, right? It's an easier argument to say, yeah, you know, yeah, the debt is worth it. Because that's going to be the question that people are going to start to ask. Parents are going to ask and, and potential student athletic trainers are going to ask is what's my cost benefit analysis here, right? Clearly, clearly this has been done, gentlemen. 
right? <laughs> it has been. It has been. But it's I been- mean, for our specific profession and our association that and educators and people who had the idea that this would be a good idea. Sheesh. <sighs> but, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to throw it out there because I, I shouldn't say stuff like this. I'm getting a little red because I'm throwing you I, the lob, Ted. I, Come I on. Don't, I don't think it was really thought of in that context. You know, I sat at one of these meetings and I'm going to be very blunt on this because it made me very, very upset. And this very point was made up. It was brought up. And one of the people on the panel, she says, well, if you're not happy with the amount of money you're making, ask for more. That's what we did at our university. And we got more money. Jeez. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Go work in an inner city school where the, the contract is $20,000 a year. And, and, and you go ask for, for more. You go, you go to that, you know, that, that school board. Yeah. Simple, simple. It's so easy. Just yeah. ask for more money. It re- reminds me of, you guys remember that show? She's probably still on TV, Susie Orman. And she was talking about, you know, you got, I know you got all this debt problems. You got this problem. You know what you need to do? You need to make more money. Well, no kidding. Everyone needs to make more money, <laughs> but it's not, it's not that easy. It's not right. No, it's not. It's not that simple. Um, economics are, are especially complex. Yeah, super complex. I mean, if you look at the NATA's website, they um, you know have a question, a frequently asked question: Will changing the degree level increase salaries? Which is what Ted has just explained to us. And they said that there was a healthcare economist that conducted a study specific to athletic training education. So obviously, at some point in time, they felt the powers that be right. People who make these decisions felt that this was a good decision, but I agree with Ted. I think in the end, we're going to find out that maybe it wasn't. And I, and again, I think that those that are going to be negatively impacted the most, are the people that are most vulnerable already, it's like a broken record on our podcast. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so true. And, you know, and, and now that we are living this, this is not, this in my mind now is not something that is a future thing. This is happening now. We're starting to see it. And, you know, I have, like I said, I have serious doubts that this is going to work out well in the long run. Um, I don't know if you guys know the numbers on this, but uh, there was, I don't know, four or five years ago, 350 programs in the United States. So there was a lot of access to athletic yep. training programs. Yep. yep. That's what I'm talking about. Talk about this. Yes. There, 350. 350. There will be, and I'm just guessing here. I'm just guessing less than 200 programs when this all shakes out. Okay. And, and 199 are at predominantly white schools. Yeah. And, and, and when we, now we look at the master's program, how many will be? Because I can tell you this. So Ted, you're talking about currently it just in the state of being bachelor's programs. Right. 350 bachelor's programs. Yeah. And, and then and the estimates gonna... of how many are not going to be able to make the transition. Right. And guess what schools are going to have the most time, difficult time making the transition? The ones that service the diverse students. Yeah. The ones that service diverse students. And I can speak to mine in particular. The chances of UNLV having a master's program are probably less than 20%. Can you talk about why? Why, why are those schools who have more diverse populations going to have a hard time making that transition? Okay. Now this gets, this gets into some cool economic stuff because it doesn't make economic sense. There's no money. All right. <laughs> the, well, let's put it this way. The Katie determined that all programs need to have three faculty members. Okay. So how much does a faculty member cost? Well, for a master's program, 
probably about one hundred and fifty thousand. I would suspect. Yeah, when, when you add in all of the benefits, benefits, and everything, yeah. you're looking at one hundred and fifty. So now let's just times that by three. That's four hundred fifty thousand out the gate. Out the gate. That's just that's just your faculty salary. That doesn't include uh, you have an AA, right? It doesn't include the student health center. It doesn't include all the other things. It doesn't include turning the lights on, the building, buying all your stuff. I'm just saying, let's say just 450, okay? How many students do you think that you need to have if your tuition is an attainable number? So and I'll get, I'm just going to give you UNLV's numbers, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there. We were going to charge, when we figured it out, it was going to be about 18000 per year per student, okay, which was very cheap. It would have been the, the cheapest uh, program on the West Coast, okay? And that's just because just UNLV actually is historically has low tuition and low graduate level tuition. And this is, so this is in-state tuition. So 18,000 per year per student, we're going to bring in for tuition. Two years. Two years, we're talking about 36 grand, okay? So just right out the, right out of the gate, I need... I don't know, just to break even on tu- on, on, on just tuition at all. It's like 16 students, right? Is that right? Per year? That sounds right. So when I go... 12.5, 12.5. 12.5. 12 and a half. <laughs> when I go to my dean or the powers that be at the university and I say, hey, you know what? Um, we're going to have a program. We're going to have a program. We're going to have 16 students in it. He runs the numbers and he's like, okay, well, tuition is one thing, but you have to think about all those other costs, Right. So all those other costs to run the university are costs that are real, right? So he said, what you have to ultimately do is like, there's a multiplier. So it's like 1.6 to 1.8 times. You have to make 1.6 to 1.8 times. So the numbers they came back at us is to break even on the university's front. They were talking about 24 to 32 students per year for us to break even. Okay. So then I started looking at, I'm like, okay, well, the problem here is we don't charge enough tuition. Okay. So if I double the tuition, it works. The numbers actually do work. But if I double the tuition, who gets left out? Yep. Exactly. Right. We all know it. And when I look at the other schools in the Western United States, that's where their numbers are or higher. Right. And 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 that and, and that ultimately is my fear. So all, what, what's happening at UNLV is we're probably not going to have a program. One of the di- most diverse programs in the country is going to go away. One of the most successful programs in the country is going to go away. Our state will not have an athletic training program. Yeah, it's wild. So so now we have one of the most diverse states in the United States, right? Not going to have a program. So now if a student does want to study athletic training. They're going to have to go out of state. Now the real money starts to come in because now you get to pay graduate level tuition plus out of state tuition plus room and board. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to be unattainable. At Vantage is the premier provider for non-traditional work, advocacy and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training. Follow them on social media at the Advantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to more boundary pushing content. So this is going to benefit the white people. <laughs> all of the rich, the schools that have a lot of money already is who's going to benefit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And who's at the top of those schools? 
the white people. <laughs> it's going to, well, here's the thing. Who it's ultimately going to benefit in the end Lord have mercy. is not athletic training. Yeah. Because we, we need diversity in athletic training. We're dying for it. Dying for it. Our athletes, our, our coaches, our administrators, they, they want a more diverse uh, population. It's, that's who it's going to end up hurting. And in the end, it's, it's going to, it's going to hurt our profession. I mean, let's look at this. It's the same thing that happened in physical therapy and the numbers it's on the NATA website, they, you know, on the, uh, on the article or on the journal of athletic training in uh, physical therapy, it's 9.6% of physical therapy grads are, uh, you know, ethnically diverse. Right. It's way higher than athletic. Training. Oh, no, it's lower. No, <laughs> oh, it's, it's lower. It's lower. I think on the same study, it said like 14% of athletic trainers, new grads, but, Graduation rate, yeah. Okay. Graduation rate, but not, but not currently practicing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, not currently practicing. Sorry. Yes. So just saying, new grads. Got it. So because they are already going through this, right? How much does it cost to go to PT school? Yeah. You know, and where and where predominantly are the PT schools? You know. Yeah, and I, I think something else too that that I've thought about, and this is just from like preliminary work that I did in 2013 when I was a graduate student at, at UNLV, and I found that about 80% of the athletic trainers who are licensed in the state of Nevada all came from like either did undergraduate or graduate work at UNLV. Yeah. So 80% of licensed athletic trainers in the state went to UNLV. And then when you look at the high schools, like Ted said, typically the high, like every high school in Nevada or Las Vegas has an athletic trainer. Yeah, 32 of them. And probably, and probably like 90% of those athletic trainers came from UNLV. Like it's not a like Las Vegas or Nevada is not a place where people are coming to find a job in athletic training, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or being imported in. You said 32 high schools are there. And Kristen, you said about 90 percent of those folks are homegrown. Yeah. And that's not going to exist anymore. And, you know, and I I don't know. I'm fearful of just if we look at just not even talking about diversity, just talking about numbers of graduates. I mean, we have still less than half the high schools in the United States have athletic trainers. Right. Oh, yeah. So we need more athletic trainers. You look at the Division of Labor um, website. They say that uh, athletic training uh, jobs are expected to grow by 20 percent in the next 10 years. So it's, it's, it's significantly higher than the national average, but we're going to be producing significantly less. And so and then if you want to go back to the powers that be, yep. the thought was, well, if we produce less, guess what will happen? Salaries will go up. <laughs> Great. And then what? <laughs> Maybe they will. Maybe right? they will, but then what? Yeah. Less athletic trainers. You got fewer athletic trainers getting paid more money to do what? Exactly. The same job. And who's and <laughs> you know how many athletic trainers are in the Los Angeles Unified School District Ted at the high school level? Uh, very few. There are eighty what is it, guys? There's over ninety something high schools. Six. Yeah, that, that that all have sports. That's for sure. Let me yeah. let me highlight some things just to summarize because we we talked about a lot of points, but um, yeah, we talked about a couple main things that are going to negatively impact underrepresented students of color. Wait, so, we, so talked did about, we we talked about the positives of um this degree change a, a thousand dollars more. <laughs> yeah, I missed it. Sorry, and, There's and a lot of purported positives. Yeah, I I just I I don't see them. Uh, and, and I'm going to add one more negative. I'm sorry. I got, I got a, you guys invited me on. You're going to, you're going to get the full Ted Gerard here. No, absolutely. That's what we want. Okay. A rebel. You're a rebel. Right now, hey. um, <laughs> right now we do have a high percentage of athletic trainers with master's degrees, right? 
what's the number, uh, Dr. Ross? I think it was like 60%, somewhere around there. Okay. So Na- Nationally? Nationally? Yeah. Okay. A majority, right? So in majority of them, they got their undergrad degree in athletic training, and they chose to educate themselves further, right? Which is awesome. But in in off air, we were talking about choosing the way you learn and choosing what you learn, right? Well, think about it. I I got my degree, uh, my master's degree in kinesiology with an emphasis in sports medicine. And I learned so much extra. I learned a lot about physiology. I learned more about nutrition. I learned things that I chose the classes that I wanted to learn more Mm. about, right? Mm -hmm. So then I graduate. Now I've been an athletic trainer for two years. I've now furthered my education even further. And then I go out and work, right? So I actually have, in my opinion, more education, right? So now if you think about it, the, the master's program is now, it's going to be an entry level. Those Say, people, sorry, repeat that. Repeat that last part that you just said. About my choosing? Yes. Yep. So it, it, after I finish my undergraduate degree, I choose to educate myself. And I choose how I want to educate myself, the classes I want to take, the programs I want to take. And now I have my bachelor's degree in athletic training. I've chosen my own adventure to what I want to learn Two to, years become after. A, to become a better athletic trainer. Right. And so now I am even more prepared to enter the workforce. Now it's going to be, you've got to take these prerequisite classes in undergrad. We're prescribing everything you need to take. Okay. Then you're going to go into a curriculum program. You have to, you have to take these courses. You have no choice. Right. And then you're going to go work. Your level as far as a clinician and education level is going to be lower. Now, the degree is going to say MS on it, but what you actually bring to the table is going to be less. I can tell you, as an employer, if I was an employer today and I had a choice of somebody that did an undergrad in athletic training and then did a two-year master's degree where they kind of went their own way, chose their own thing, maybe did a thesis, did some research, or I chose took someone with an entry-level master's that just graduated – I'm choosing the other person every day of the week. The first person. Yep. Same. Yeah, I would too. And I'm an, and, and I and I am an employer of uh, of athletic trainers. And that's who I would choose. Right. And that's something that you know I was even talking to my wife about this. Right. And we have think, thinking about what are the impacts. And that's one of the things we said. She's like, "Well, Adam has his master's in athletic training." I'm like, "Nope, Adam. What is it? A master's in what? Health science. So he's got a master's in health science. That that's more to my point, right? I start thinking about. All the folks that we know that are out here practicing, doing things, this idea, and even to your point, Ted, this idea that you can go and tailor make, you know, my master's is in sports management, right? right? You can do it in sports psych. Some do it in nutrition. Some do it in strength and conditioning. Some do it, but it it, it allows a diversified workforce. Diversity. Hello, right? Yeah. And now we're not just yeah. So I, I'm with you in terms of when we're talking about being employable, and other other professions and trades are the same way, right? You have folks who are they're looking for people who, you know, for med school for a while. I remember them saying, "Look, man, we we're, we don't want the people who have worked to a high level of biology and chemistry and all of that because we're going to give them those things. Exactly. But we're looking for folks who have some background in English and have some background in all of these other." you know, uh, history, you name it, right. Sociology, right. Because we're going into this workforce. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, when we started, I'm fearful for the future of our profession because of this and we're going down the road. So then, so I guess the question that needs to be asked is what can we do? Mm -hmm. Right. 
Cause that's the, cause we can complain about this as much as we want. Right. And I think we've complained about it enough yep. and, you know, thinking about it as an educator and as a, as a leader in the state of Nevada, that's the, that's the next thing for me is, okay, this is happening. What can I do and what can we do there we go. to, to have a positive impact uh, on this and, you know, continue to, foster diversity in athletic training. And, and, and I've got to give you guys a lot of credits. I mean, credit, I mean, this podcast, this is, this is, this is the steps, right? These, these are the things that we got to start to do, but it's daunting when you think about it, like, how do I make micro changes to a macro problem? Right. Cause I'm just one person. Yep. Absolutely. And Ted, I, I love that you bring that up. Like, Oh, we, you know, we've sat here and complained about it long enough, but now like, what can we do? Like, what do we do as athletic trainers, as individuals in the profession to, to still be able to make the change that you want to see. And like, that just embodies my entire like educational experience at UNLV. Right. Mm. Like we we see issues and it's like, okay, you can talk about and complain about for a while, but then like, what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. And so, so what do we do? (laughs) Yeah. And to be fair, as we talk about what we do, there's not a lot of complaining happening. We are addressing these issues. Maybe some complaints have happened in other in other circles, but I don't we were looking we're looking. Hey, show me the positive. Show me the. we're having a hard time finding these things. Right. So I think we're looking at this thing as pretty objective. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. There's some emotion behind it too, because of our value systems now. As we are looking more into this, but yeah, but so yeah, what do we do now that we? I think, I think what we're doing is we're helping illuminate a problem that not very many people are aware of, right? Even when I think about myself, I'm pretty. I try to stay aware, but a lot of people just like me are making assumptions about the leadership that we have that are making these changes, assuming that we're doing. We've done our due diligence, but it's clear that we haven't because we don't see the proof in the pudding. We don't see any here. We are on a podcast trying to talk about solutions to this problem, these problems that are about to come. And we're not paid for this. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, did you have a solution you were going to (laughs) mention? Well, it wasn't a solution, but I was was just going to speak from the lens of someone who's educating high school students who are interested in going into the profession of athletic training. Right. And just what I've seen with the the change from when I first started teaching and I was preparing students to go into like to go to a two year university and then transfer into a bachelor's bachelor's degree program or go directly into a bachelor's degree program to now students who when I'm having this conversation with them and I'm like, yeah, you're going to have to go get a master's. Right. And so parents without giving too much information, I had a student whose parent, which both parents are, you know, uh, immigrants, they have their own business. So they're not, you know, not, not traditionally educated. And they're telling their daughter, like, why would you like, no, you're not going to go get a master's degree. Like you're talking about going to this private university where it's already going to cost us $25,000 a year for you to go there. And then you want to go for six years like, to get work. And, and then, and then, you know, and they did their, their research, like, and then you're going to make $42,000 a year when you get out. Like, mm. no, I'm not paying for that. You know, like we have the money, but I'm not paying for that. Right. Um, because Bad investment. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. And so, yeah, I'm already seeing the negative effects with students just like, I can't do that. 
you know, students of color who are coming from a lower socioeconomic status. And it's just like, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. What's the solution? We were, we were talking about debt, but, yeah. but but it's one thing to talk about going into debt. But it's another thing if, you know, hey, parents are really helping and trying to to pay for this, to, you know, to offset, to offset that. Yeah. And they're going to do the, you know, they're going to do their due diligence and their cost benefit analysis. And they're going to come up with that answer. It's like, okay, well, why? And, and, then, and then they get this brilliant kid in high school, right? This is doing everything right, staying out of trouble, working hard, doing the science classes and said, I want to be an athletic trainer. Then they go to, you know, so let's say they get to that first step and they go to college and they're one of the best students in college. Then they get the decision, like they're a junior in college and they're like, okay, you know, I've, I've obtained this amount of debt. And these are this, you know, this is a sharp kid, right? And he said, now, hmm. I can go be a PA in the same amount of time for about the same amount of money. And I can come out making a hundred to 120 G's a year, or I can go to athletic training school. Now I really like athletic training, but at a certain point, wouldn't it be fiscally irresponsible for that student to make that decision? It would 100%. Yeah. I lived that decision. My life is that decision (laughs) because I, I, more than doubled my salary as a head athletic trainer at a division two university. The moment I walked away from PA school. Yeah. And it's, it, it's fiscal responsibility and less responsibility, right? Sweat CBD. CBD has become increasingly popular for treatment of pain, anxiety, focus, sleep, and more. We've partnered with sweat CBD who delivers 100% natural full spectrum CBD oils, gummies and lotion head over to sweat cbd and use code at vantage that's a-t-v-a-n-t-a-g-e for 10 percent off at checkout so if, if i had a student in my office let's say five years down the road and they were making this decision and I, they wanted mentorship Woo. right and they're a first generation student from las vegas i can say ethnically diverse or not doesn't matter and they're saying Mr. Gerard, I'm really torn here because I really love athletic training. I love the classes I've taken. You've inspired me. I want to go do my master's in athletic training. But man, I, I'm a great student. Like I got a, you know, I got a 3.9 GPA and this and this and this. I could also be a PA. And guess what I could do? I could go work in sports. Yep. And, and I can and I can make a lot of money doing this. Right. So now my my next point was. Maybe what we're going to lose is the high-level student, right? And maybe what we'll get is the tertiary-level student, right? The one that barely makes it, not good enough to go to PA school, not good enough to go to PT school, not good enough to go to OT school, not good enough to go to med school, but good enough to go to athletic training school. And that's also a fear of mine. That makes sense. Let me add another thing that I thought about too. I'm complaining again and not giving you solutions. No, yeah. Well, I th- we're getting there, right? We're gonna we're we're gonna get solutions. Yeah. I think in order to come to some solutions, we got to be clear about the problem, you know. And I, you know, it's it's apparent to me that I was unaware of just how big of a problem this is. What do we call it? The degree? Uh, what you call it? What's the technical inflation? The ingre- degree inflation. Just how big of a problem it is. So here's the other thing that I think about. There are very few things, especially in the state of California, that gives athletic trainers the exclusive rights to sidelines and practices. So what can end up happening a decade from now is we end up forfeiting the athletic training profession to a whole different profession that has now carved out a different niche. Yep. Right. So when you talk about the PAs, I'll go to PA school and 
get a high le- high level of education from a medical standpoint and also expands my scope of practice i'm so i'm going to be more th- <laughs> it's arguable to say like that person can be more fit if they're a one man band or a one woman band to take care of some of these solutions and issues that are some of these problems and issues that we see at the school maybe yeah. you know but i just that's something else to think through right is just that's the thought that i had i'm like well man I'll go the route of PA school and then I'll come back and work at that at figure out how to work at the athletic, tra- you know, and then yeah. the value is already established of a physician assistant. Right. So, it might, you know, we might still have to have some of those conversations we have as athletic trainers in terms of salary and all of that. But I don't know, so, man. Chris, this already happened in California last night. I worked a football game and yep. uh, the medical staff across from me were was a chiropractor and then a chiropractic student. See. Right. And so here in California at at the Southern California University, I don't want to give them a plug, but the Southern California University of Health Sciences, you can go and and become a doctor of chiropractic. chiropractic. Yep. And then they have a sports medicine like uh, residency residency that you can do after. Yep. For this sports medicine residency. And I remember seeing a a flyer for it or advertisement. I want to say it's about they get paid about seventy five thousand dollars, like for between forty five and seventy five thousand dollars for doing the sports medicine residency with another chiropractor who is operating as a team physician at at a at a high school. And then in their like description, it says, oh, when you get done, you can be a team physician, like the team doctor for a uh, for a high school or an athletic trainer. Like that's what it said in the description of this residency for the chiropractors who finish. So let, let me finish. I take a field trip to the school yearly, usually, except for COVID with my students. And you take students. Yeah. Cause we yep. do, we, we go through their, uh, they have like an anatomy lab, which is cool. Like cadavers and stuff like that. Right. And so um, we were speaking with one of the reps afterwards. And so the requirements to getting into chiropractic school at this school is that you just have to have completed, I think like 75 undergraduate credits. Yeah. So you don't have to have an AA. You don't have to have a, a BA. You don't have to have an MS. You can get into a, a, a doctor of chiropractic school with just 75 completed college credits. And so these can all be, take place at a community college as long as you, you have the prereqs. And at this school, they also do weekend prereqs. So you can get you can get a complete your like biology, chemistry prereqs in four weeks just doing Saturday, Sunday at this school. So like they have it all the way down to a science at how they're able to in California, navigate into, oh yeah, and it's very expensive too to take one of those classes like four thousand dollars. Exactly, there people will pay the money to get the degree. You know, yep, it's unfortunate. So one of the solutions then, guys, is mm-hmm. we keep high level bachelor's programs, athletic training education programs like UNLV, <laughs> and then we send them to these doctor of chiropractic schools. <laughs> And then we unleash them back into the sport population. Yeah. We're laughing about it, man. But that's like, that's what's going to happen. Why not? Why would I not do that? Yeah. Well, it'll happen because, you know, what ultimately is happening is a lot of the programs that have chosen not to transition to master's programs, they're still basically teaching the same curriculum. So they're calling it a pre, pre-orthopedic undergraduate program. So you mean even they might even call it sports medicine program yeah. to get you ready to go to uh, athletic training school, PT school, PA or PA school. They're, so they're, they're, they're teaching a lot of the same things anyways. And those people are going to end up at these, these DC schools and they're going to get to do athletic training. And it may just be the worst kind of athletic training, which is I'm going to come cover the games. Yep. That, and that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like that's taking us back 30 years. Well, at least in this state, 
Probably not so much in California, yeah. where we had EMTs on the sidelines for Friday night football games. We had that last week. Paying them two hundred dollars a game yeah. to to sit there, and they can't do anything but transport you. Yep. Right. Yep. But once again, uh, you know, we need athletic trainers to have master's degrees, so they're they're high, looked upon higher. But you're going to pay two hundred fifty dollars for an EMT to sit in their rig uh, at your football game because an EMT is better. I only see. There's probably more solutions, but in my mind right now, with the current situation that we have, which is entry-level masters, the only solution that I see to increasing diversity is scholarships. So there needs to be tagged scholarships to persons of color to attend a university so that there's greater recruitment numbers. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Dr. Carlita Warren from University of Laverne shared with us some data preliminary that is yep. potentially going to be in publication that 80% of program directors, athletic training program directors, do not intentionally recruit. There was a paper from 2020 last year that w- looked at levels of confidence and cultural competency from educators. And of that cohort of educators, 90% of them were white. So we've talked about the difficulty in persons of color from financial constraints, you know, being in a setting that is a predominantly white university as there's only one HBCU with an athletic training major in the whole United States. We talked about how all of these things impact persons of color becoming an athletic trainer. So if you're not recruiting and, and you're in, and the pipeline doesn't exist and then you're, you're creating bigger barriers then the only way to overcome that and create diversity in athletic training is to give scholarships to individuals that are not white. Build a gate so they can open that door. Okay, but I'm, I'm throwing that out at you. I'll throw something back at you. So if I was to go to Dr. Ross's high school where he was working just last night, and he's got two or three students that are really interested in athletic training, would I not be a little bit of a hypocrite if I went and really recruited them super hard into a profession that's going to put them into a, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars debt for a job that's going to pay them 40000 Ooh, Maybe not if that's not your value, Ted. Ah. I, I, I agree, but I'm saying. Right. But, but, but for you personally, I think you would be a hypocrite. But yeah. for, I'm just saying, it, it may not be hypocritical for some of these other recruiters and these other ATEP programs who would go out, given all of the things we just talked about, and went and still recruited those two students, those two high school students at Dr. Ross's campus. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing. It's like, yes, I agree that if this is in their heart of hearts, that they want to do this, and this is the passion of their life to do this, Ooh. then absolutely, let's do this. And if it, if it ends up, you're broke for the rest of your life, and you, you know, Okay, because there's a lot of professions that that's the case, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, you, we can contend that an English degree is probably, or it, it might go down that road, or, or, or where, whatever the case may be. There may be people that it is their absolute passion. Oh, yeah. But if we're not, if we're recruiting and we're not giving all you. of this yep. and putting it out on the table and, and saying, you know what, yep. you really got to think about this because this is, this is not, um, Man, man, man. A financially viable thing for you to potentially do. Now, if you're independently wealthy, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. No problem. You got a trust fund and you want to do this because you like you, you like taking care of athletes and okay, that's fine. But I, I think it would be it would be hypocritical for me to do that. Uh, so I'm tracking with you. Yep. I love it because Ted doesn't give baseless he doesn't I'm give baseless it. uh yeah. solutions, right? Yep. It, it's well thought out. Oh. 
But but that's why I'm saying the only potential solution I see is providing funding, like free education. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then who's going to fund that and mm. how much does it cost? So to endow a scholarship is $400,000 to endow one. Okay, so if I was to go out and you know get a donor to say, hey, I want you to take care of one student to do their master's degree, and they're gonna every two years you're gonna have one student that we're gonna fully fund thirty six thousand dollars, thirty six thousand to endow it. You're looking at about a ten percent yep. uh, return on your investment. You're looking at four hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. You know that's that takes a lot of donors to come up with the amount of athletic trainers we'd like to produce. So you're Adam, you are one hundred percent right. The only solution is scholarship. But if you if you add all the NATA scholarships up together, oh, yeah. you could barely cover one person for you know to get their master's program. We are doomed. That's the only solution right now, I guess. Well, yeah. There could be solutions in changing what is becoming commonplace. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and even if you think about, you know, uh, let's make university free for everybody. They're not going to do it for master's programs. Uh-huh. They're, they're barely talking about, you know, uh, undergraduate programs and, and the possibility of that. And, and community colleges, they're not talking. I've not seen anything about uh, professional programs or master's level programs and that being funded through like, some government agency. Man. So I don't have. So the, the truth is, I don't have any answers. I yeah, only have problems. Sorry. <laughs> I just heard DMX give a, uh, he was, it's, it's an old interview, but he said, always trust everyone to be themselves, but trust in the fact that you can see them well. And it's things like this. It's conversations like this when folks start having these kinds of conversations among themselves, right? Because Ted, that's another part of the purpose of our podcast. Honestly, we're not here to, to, to provide all the solutions we are here to just make noise about and bring awareness to different situations and issues and problems specifically as it relates to the disparity that we see in black athletic trainers practicing in our profession as well as other people of color right and how disproportionate that is to the people who actually participate in sport right so we talk about a whole slew of things that that creates right that creates a whole another like a lot of other issues of cultural incompetence and so many other things right misrep like inadequate inadequate representation you name it um and so again we just <laughs> this is still a very fruitful time because if nothing else now people are thinking oh man we thought like, like even I used to think, right? We thought, oh man, look, look at our esteemed profession. We're an entry level master's program. You got to have a master's degree to just get in the door. And it's like, hey, but did you know that there's other implications behind that, right? Did you? It, sound, it sounds good on a high level. It sounds good. Yeah, it sounds really good, but it excludes right away. It excludes people. Yep, in a big way, a huge way, in a huge way, right? But not to mention maybe some some intense point. Like even if we're not ta- if we're just talking about privileged, we're, if we're just talking about privileged people, it's still going to exclude a lot of people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because these programs, these high level programs that might still stick around, they're only going to have a certain capacity. And they're going to have to turn certain people away. So it's going to only crank out a certain number of professionals every year. And some, unfortunately, some, there are some people who are like, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And, that's and, and I already know that there are some entry-level master's degree programs where when they are recruiting or looking to admit individuals, they're looking at that 70% pay. Oh, the pass rate. Pass rate. Yep. Yeah. 
and that's a problem. I mean, we, we can, you know, we can go down the road of biases in, in testing and, you know, and that, that could be a whole nother podcast. And I'm sure you guys will have one on that, but idea. <laughs> you know, standardized testing has definitely cultural biases that we could for sure. Yeah, for, for sure. So, 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 you know, if I'm thinking about this, if they're going to, if they're going to potentially put my program on uh, probation and I know that black students in general perform poorly on these type of tests, am I going to recruit black people? I have a question. I mean, just, I, 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 I don't know if I would. Like, I, or if you know that black students may perform poorly on just the SAT, they might actually perform really well on the BOC exam. Or the GRE. Like, in this case, or the GRE. Exactly. GRE. Yep. Exactly. Because guess what? Kristen and I are both first time testing. We, we passed on the first time. Yeah. Right. But I, I wasn't making super high marks in high school. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I, there was nothing that interested me from an academic standpoint in high school due to my specific high school. There's so you talked about this, Ted. There's layers about this. Right. Yeah. You know, so depending on where you even went to school impacts the level of exposure that you have to things that even interest you. Right. So so it's one thing to say, like, school is a joke because the stuff that we're learning, how is this even practical and relevant to my life? Not to mention, so, but we equate that to people's learning capacity. Mm -hmm. Like I know so many people, especially from the inner cities, black students involved, included, they are very smart and have high mental acuity, but they just didn't have teachers who, for instance, just because a teacher didn't know how to talk to the student could impact that kid's education. Because you, sure. because you disrespect me, I can't trust you enough to – you don't even know how to talk to me as a human. Why am I going to sit here and listen to anything you have to say to me, right? That's just one example. And so I have a buddy, and I'll stop at this. I have a buddy who he told me – this was just like a few months back. Real sharp guy. Talking about the mind, loves things about the mind and the brain and psychology. He wouldn't say that, though. He wouldn't say psychology. He wouldn't have the verbiage to use it. But he, he, anyway, he was always fascinated. And he said, man, Bates, anytime you get information like this, send it my way. And I'm like, bro, this is a whole study. This, there's a whole field of this, right? And so he would say things like, yeah, man, because I don't do school. He was like, I don't, I, don't do, I don't do school and, you know, all of that. And I said, man, actually, you are a huge learner. You are a huge learner. You just want to learn the things that are, you are interested in. And that caught his attention because for a long time he would think like, yeah, man, I don't like I'm school. I don't, yeah. this learning thing, this student thing. And I'm like, no, that's, that's a misnomer. You are, a, you are, you love learning, right? You love learning. And, 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 I, and so then I start telling him, I'm like, man, the discipline that you are actually studying is like mindset, psychology, positive developmental psychology. And so when I told him that his mind was a blow, he was like, wow. Right. But he was turned off to the academic world because of so many other variables. So back to your point, Ted, like if we are trying to recruit people for the 70% first time pass rate, we, ha we only have certain metrics to go that to base that off of, which are these kids' high school performances, right? And now, well, now you know, it's high school performances, but I'm saying moving forward, it'll be, then it'll be, exactly. it'll be their college performances. But here's yep. the thing, if they couldn't get into a good college because they didn't do well in high school, then we're setting them up on this cascade of negativity. MedBridge provides evidence-based courses, unlimited CEUs, home exercise programs featuring 600 plus exercises and much more. Use promo code THEADVANTAGE, that is T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E to get an annual MedBridge subscription for as low as $200.
So I, I have a question for Ted. Okay. Um, cause you kind of touched upon this and I, I want to know if you, if you are more versed than the three of us on this, but are you aware if there is a difference in first time BOC pass rates for white students versus black students or white students versus Latino students? There is, there is, let me find that. I actually had that study open. So, All right. cause I've seen some data, but I don't know. I don't know if it's like published. And so I, I didn't want to like come out and say that I know that. Kristen, I assumed you were a first time pass too. I, yeah. No, I, I passed first time. You went to UNLV. Went to UNLV. Yeah, baby. <laughs> of course you got first time passer. That's it. Come on now. <laughs> but what do you think the reason is, Ted, that there is a disparity in first time pass rates for different people, people by race? Why would that exist? Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know why it exists, but it does exist. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just pulling up the numbers right now for you. First time pass rate for BOC for uh, white students, 81.3%. For African-American, 58.7%. Wow. So that's huge, right? We know it's not because of like IQ. The, that's the biggest gap between whites. Whites are the highest between any ethnic group is between that and African-Americans. So we all know it's not because of IQ. It has nothing to do with your race and IQ. So telling. So gosh, it has to be a systemic reason. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. And so, I mean, this is just another issue of like the recruiting that you touch upon is people are not going to recruit for reasons that they think that a first time pass rate is not going to be higher. Mm -hmm. But then our system is already set up for the the students of color that do get into the profession to not do as well. Well, when I introduced Ted and, and what I said was he truly embodies whole student learning. So like individualizing his relationship with each student and then even how he is able to connect with each student and, and te- like seriously, right. He's not just teaching wholesale, everybody, the same thing, the same way. It's true. And so we already know, even with our patient outcome from our clinical practice, right, we don't treat every student the same. Right. And so you can't treat every clinician or, or student athletic trainer the same. You can't think that you can reach them the same as far as, you know, being able to get them the content. Kristen, it takes a lot to do no, absolutely. Right. It's not that's not the easy, it's not the easy route, right? I already mentioned that our program is one of the most diverse in the country. And we have in the last 12 years a 98% first time pass rate. So that tells you if you looked at the stat on my school, little my flex, program, little flex. flex Go on ahead, my, on Ted. My program, oh, shoot. Right? On my program, uh, African Americans is a hundred percent flex. Right. But but so so here's the thing is is that w- what is it mm. you know and then the university is diverse mm. so it's all of those things yeah well, it's, no. it's, it, but it's, once again it's not that I'm so like I'm so great nope. I'll flex. no 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 that's no. not no. what we hear it's yeah. not nope. it's it's not that it's that the system in Nevada I think is set up to make this successful because of scholarship yeah, yeah. there's some of our solutions are starting to emerge guys because we have athletic trainers in every school yep. right so when i interview my students to get into my program first question i look, thing i look at where'd you go to high school oh you went oh you went to this high school you know this athletic trainer you you know oh yeah he he's the reason i'm here is because you know i sprained my ankle when i was playing soccer when i was in the 11th grade and he took such good care of me and we started talking and oh and your student was there doing their internship 
and they'd start talking about you and your program and how great it was. That is the cascade that happens for everybody, yeah. you know, and it's something that I'm, I'm obviously really proud of, but unfortunately probably in Nevada going away. Yeah. So I think this, like I was, the solutions are starting to emerge, but they're bigger solutions than I, than maybe many people are willing to do the work to do because we're starting to see how complicated and how layered and complex it is and systemic even. So some of these solutions and changes are, are potentially going to require systemic changes. Yeah. It's going to require changes beyond the ATEP program. Yeah. It's going to require changes at the university level, right? So it's when I'm just, so look, I think UNLV would be a good case study to look at, well, here's how we can maybe find, try to find some solutions. I'm sure, you know, there's some others that we can look at, right? But as far as I know, because Ted, you're here giving us the numbers, you're telling us things like 100% first time pass rate of your African-American students. We, we need to, we want to take a closer look to see why is that? Well, what we've already discovered is, well, first and foremost, your recruiting and your personality and Kristen talking about the whole, whole student learning environment and all of those things. But then you've alluded to the university is more diverse as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I don't know if you said something even about the larger demographic outside of even the university, right? Did you mention the demographics of just Nevada? Southern Nevada is very Southern Nevada. Yeah. Okay. So there's that to consider. And I'm sure there, there might be some other things, right? But these are definitely clues that helps us to see what the solutions could be. The last thing I'll say about this is it's a harsh reality. And we're seeing it in the larger society as well. Even if we find a solution or some solutions, it's a whole nother conversation to then implement the solutions. It doesn't mean that we're going to do what it takes for to, to implement it. Yeah, and it may be, and we may be a generation away. You know, this may be like in most problems in society are, you know, solved reactionarily, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to react to this in a generation when we start to really see the impact. Yeah. You know, when the numbers of African-American um, athletic trainers dropped even further, right? Instead, of, and all these initiatives by the NATA um, and the BOC to, you know, and the KD to push diversity, right? When these programs that we're, we're working on aren't working because they're not getting to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. But a generation from now, we'll be like, oh man, this is really bad now. Now, right. now what do we do? Yeah. Because I'm thinking about the people, I'm thinking about the black and other people of color, athletic trainers who are getting into the profession and we're getting excited about it. But man, it feels like we're drinking Kool-Aid, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, Kristen, you know, on a previous episode talked about how trickle down economics is not going to solve any of these issues. And in our discussion, that point has really hit home with me because the NATA and Katie and BOC, everybody has missed the boat on this. It's obvious. And to, to make a huge impact, more needs to be done. I, I, I want to share a quote from the NATA website that literally the frequently asked question was how will the degree change impact diversity and their solution this is their solution this is crazy to me was that it was found that greater diversity exists at the graduate level of athletic training than it does at the undergrad in addition minorities represent a high population of student athletes therefore the degree level change may also open up the opportunity to become an athletic trainer for more minority students as athletes can complete their at coursework 
once their playing days are done. So their solution to is the degree change going to impact diversity was, well, now more student color, student of color athletes can be an athletic trainer. Like that's the because it doesn't conflict with their playing eligibility. Exactly. Exactly. That's laughable, dog. So that's the state that's this is the, this is up on the NATA's website right now. Okay, so such a ridiculous argument. It's a crazy argument. Like maybe it's disrespectful. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of <laughs> yeah. things. It's, but, it's racist to its core if you really look at it. Yeah. I didn't say that. Yeah. Ted did. <laughs> Ted, by the way, can you disclose your ethnic makeup to our listeners? Yeah, it's good. I'll just say I'm a typical Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Uh, I'm not Canadian. Adam's white, but um, well, I'm, I'm white. I'm white. Yep. I can easily say like. Yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. We, we, we go through this every podcast. Um, <laughs> um, it's crazy to me that it says that on the website. Like I read that. I, I was doing research for us to talk about this episode. I'm reading this and I'm like, this is their rationale? Yeah. Like, this is their solution to how, how the degree change is going to impact diversity? That should be like way down on the list, man. If even on the list. I got to believe that this is the, the consultant. This is... I don't know, an undergraduate student who wrote this for the NATA and somebody <laughs> didn't vet it. I'm going to go with that because. Yep. But but when we talk about, right, we've talked about diversity within leadership in NATA. So it's not surprising that that's what they came out with. And that's what's on the on the website. Yep. Yeah, that's the reality, Kristen. You're right. You're exactly right. <laughs> so it's, it's not surprising. No, nope, it's not. Athletic trainers. What if you could do more for your career, for your patients, for yourself? The Indiana State Doctorate of Athletic Training Program can help you get there. You will learn the skills to practice at the top of your scope and show your value in healthcare. Interested? Go to www.indstate.edu forward slash DAT for more information or to apply today. Chris, you were you were going to ask me a question oh, yeah. and ask me to get vulnerable. What was it? Um it was a back to we were kind of referencing when we were talking about to Ted's point about like when we're recruiting students, for instance, mm-hmm. and when these programs have this, whether they realize it or whether it's conscious or unconscious, they have this carrot or this this thing that's driving their recruitment, mm-hmm. which is a first time pass rate. Some of the variables and some of the things that programs have to go off of is they're only limited, right, unless they're going through the hard work. And the intentional work of really vetting students out, right? Mm-hmm. You can't do that to a large degree when you're doing mass things, right? There's so they're left with, okay, what does everybody else do? Let's look at GPA, let's look at SAT scores, let's, you know, those types of things. So I was gonna ask you, what was your GPA in high school? Two point three or something like that. Like tenth tenth eleventh tenth, half eleventh grade was like I don't know how I was playing sports. <laughs> one point something and now they call him doctor right they call it what ted doctor oh yes for for my doctor degree i had a 4.0 absolutely so it 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 had nothing to do with my ability because i got skipped from the first to the second grade that's my point right and i I was always a a gate student gifted and talented education is what gate stands for by the way yeah in california yeah so so it wasn't anything about my ability correct i've always had the ability it was it was my effort and it it was just a multitude of, of other things you know, yes, it doesn't even have to do with like my mother's a nurse practitioner. So she's, you know, well-educated, but it was more, more societal things that I had to deal with. Like, why do I care about paying attention in English and math class? And at this time, right, being 15 years old, when I got to navigate, like not walking down this street, 
because I'm gonna get mm-hmm. I'm gonna get in a fight with these dudes not walking down this street because you know these dudes don't like the street that I live on. So so when I'm dealing with stuff I like can't wear this color or this hat, right? Can't wear this color, can't wear this hat. Yep. So when I got to worry about even navigating and getting to school safely, right? Why am I gonna be? Why Why am I worried? Mm. <laughs> you know, if, when I'm worried about, I, I can't. Oh, this kid is coming out of this class and he don't like me, <laughs> so I got to go this other way. You know what I mean? So and we're not just talking about the school bully. Yeah, yeah. By the way, so so it's just other things that you have to worry about. Right. Um, yeah. But here's my point, though. Yeah. Here's my point. If there are athletic training education programs out there, and we have one here with us now, right, a representative, who take your GPA and your SAT, because the same could be said about the SAT scores too, right? Yep. That's a test that people need to learn how to take first and foremost, right? And who, who has the res- – people don't have extra resources to learn how to take these tests, yep. right? And so, so, so that's a, but the same could be said about how folks may not score high. Because what was your SAT score, Kristen? I don't remember. I didn't mean I don't even think I took it because I went straight to community college. <laughs> and see, so there's all of these other things. Right. But if, if the ATEP folks are only looking at or if that's something they're maybe they're not only looking at that. Yeah. But if they're weighing if they're if you're honestly putting a lot of weight on those things and you're not taking in some of these other factors, which I challenge them. Well, how you know, OK, well, we do take in other factors. What are the other factors you're taking into account yeah. that would allow you to learn about Kristen Ross the things, the fact that he actually has the capacity to become a doctor. What what are the things that you do? I don't think people can tell us. No, I don't, I don't know if people could tell us, right? Yeah. But I just know the capacity that we have, and so there it is. I mean, that, yeah. I just wanted to lay that out because, like Ted said, we're talking to a doctor now. Yeah. So I'm going to add one more thing. So as we move to the entry level masters, the KD has determined the areas of content that we have to have prerequisite classes in as well. And so then now what we're going to do is we're going to start to judge people based off of those prerequisite classes, Mm -hmm. which are not things that would necessarily make you a good athletic trainer. I'm going to read you the list. Okay. Uh, The professional program requires prerequisite classes in biology, chemistry, physics, psychology, anatomy, and physiology. Okay. If you're really interested in sports medicine, athletic training, you got to already be good in it. Yeah. But but (laughs) those things tell you, how good you're going to do in my athletic training program. No. Because that's what's going to be judged. I guarantee you. Or in the profession. Yeah. In the prof- I'm, I guarantee you they're going to be, well, you know, this person's physics uh, score was relatively low and their chemistry score was relatively low. So, you know, now we're not even going to get to them to the, the interview phase, you know, because, yep. you know. we don't have the time to teach that stuff that's relevant to them related to physics and bio and what are y'all going to do? I know, right? <laughs> what's the education program's purpose? Exactly. To educate. The... <laughs> I don't know that wow. as education programs, we're being, wow. we're being too, I don't know, con- we're being controlled by the Katie yeah. and by the, and by the BOC. And we're not allowed to just educate the best way we see. No, it. Absolutely. And, and, and honestly, I, I get to I get a, I'm going to defend them to a certain extent as well, because as a whole, our country has messed up on this. Yeah. And, and this stuff is coming, not just from the Katie. Yep. This is coming from the Department of Education. Okay, yeah, sure. Because of for-profit schools taking advantage of people and secondarily taking advantage of federal loan programs, mm. right? So we really want to get you know to the, to the root of it is for-profit education. That is- private schools. Well, I'm, not, yeah, I'm saying private schools, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add in for-profit private school for profit. I love it. Yep. Cause there are, yep, but that's important right? that are predatory and that are like, Oh, you know, if you come to our school, you're going to get this job, this job, this job. 
and, and it's going to be so easy for you. And, oh yeah. And we're going to help you get the loans. And, you know, cause then they have officers that that's their job is to get the loans from the federal government. This is how Trump university worked. I think I'm just going to say, say that, but that was the model yeah. was to get, to get people to sign up for federal loans. Yeah. I got them. And so the, the department of education had to come down hard and say, Hey, listen, there needs to be rules in place oh. and there needs to be metrics in place yeah. that, to determine if a program is viable and if it's good and if we should be, if we as the federal government should be supporting these programs and supporting students in these programs, that that translated down into the KD. And then the KD has got to take those and say, you know, if we want to continue to be accredited because the KD is accredited as well. Right. If we wanted to continue to be accredited by the, the, whoever accredits the KD, that we have to do these things. And then jump back up to that top that you were talking about. There are not, people of color or people who come from places that these people that we come from to help influence some of those standards to say, Hey, here's some things you can look at, or here's some things to be careful of when you look at these things. Exactly. I agree. Exclusively. I I do have a, I know as we come to a close, we always like to have uh, actionable items. So I do have a, an actionable item for our listeners. Those who are out there listening as far as at last, what we're looking to do to be able to, help solve some of these issues. So be on the lookout for the at last summer athletic training workshop and mentorship advisory summit, um, where we're going to be looking to have, uh, (laughs) where we will not be advising you to go into the profession of athletic (laughs) training. (laughs) No. So, so we will be looking to have community college students, um, and high school seniors who are looking, who are graduating and looking to go into the profession of athletic training, providing, information and connecting you with undergraduate programs who still will be graduating undergraduate athletic training students within the next two years to connect you with with those people to be able to be a viable candidate for those programs and get all the information that you need to be able to apply and become an athletic trainer through a bachelor's degree program. Time's running out. Yeah. We got to act fast. Master's <laughs> degree programs are running out. We got uh, 2025. So that information will be coming out soon. You can find it on our social medias uh, as soon as we get all of the logistics ironed out. And Ted, this is your invitation to be a uh, part of that and have UNLV as a. I'm very interested. Yeah. As a, as a school to be able to provide information to these students. I got to reiterate that, Chris, and that's actually a really great idea and solution is, you know, how can we get as many young students of color graduated under this timeline as fast as possible to save them money, get them in the profession, to diversify the profession and at a high level. We know we can yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that the time is running out. Like, honestly, yeah. you've got to be in a program in the next two years, like actually in the program in the next two years, like accepted in and started the program or you missed the boat. Hey, so Reggie Scott said, get to the finish line, guys. That's one of the finish lines is, is how many students can we get graduated in the next two years into a program in the next two years? High level students. And there's a lot out there. I'd be very proud to, to help you guys out on that initiative. And I also want to thank you guys for the the, the time. And I uh, really, honestly, yeah. I, I enjoyed this conversation uh, immensely. Appreciate having you, Ted. Thank you for being with us. This is, you gave us a lot to, to I mean, there was a lot of affirmation, you know, of things that I think we just kind of see happening anecdotally. But like now you're, you've provided a higher 
perspective, a higher level perspective for us to really see this and, and to start to say, wait, well, hold up, you know? So thank you for giving us your time and your experiences and taking a risk. If you've listened to this podcast or some of the other ones and you are moved by some of the things that we have said or discussed, please reach out to us. You can reach us at the email at last at advantagepodcast.com. That'll be in the show notes. Also, we have a GoFundMe that's set up. And if you want to help us try to get as many students of color into athletic training programs in the next couple of years so that we can diversify the profession and save these youngins money, go to www.gofundme.com forward slash increasing dash diversity dash in dash athletic training. Also, if you just Google increasing diversity in athletic training, GoFundMe, it'll take you to that site. Yep. Or if you hit us up, we can give you the link as well. And it'll be in the show notes. Many options for you. Make it as easy as possible. Man, I, a, a, another solution, you know, in terms of actionable things, because this is something that Dr. Ross and I have both got our hands in as we weather this storm and figure out what ends up happening, right? Because the problems are apparent. <laughs> if we still want to encourage people to get into this field, because we do believe this is a a wonderful field to be in, especially if you are a helps person, if you are a, a service person and you enjoy the way the human body works and acts and all of that, and you have some compassion for people and you have a space for public health, right? Because we've been unpacking some of those things too. It is a wonderful, wonderful profession to be in. I think we find a lot of joy doing what we do. We talked a lot about the headaches, but this is kind of a, uh, this is kind of like some housekeeping items, you know? Um, so if you're on the outside kind of hearing in, we've just kind of let you peek into like the family arguments that happen, you know, among siblings and, and inside the house. But, but in all sincerity, I can't imagine me doing another profession, man, to, to helping people reduce their risk of injury, to immediately caring for people's injuries and to helping them uh, recover from their injuries and or illnesses. This has been a personal thing for me in terms of life. I found my life's purpose through the purposes and the job description, quote unquote, for athletic training. Right. So if you do resonate with those things, definitely, definitely talk to us, pursue the profession. However, we got some work to do when it comes to it being able to provide a substantial means of income for you. So that leads me to another thing that we can explore and I think we need to do a better job at is the is working the entrepreneurial muscles of athletic trainers, mm. helping our business mind. Because look, if we can't get it done through our profession, that's okay. Like we'll go figure out ways to make ends meet and then to even thrive, right? Beyond just putting food on your table, but still be able to thrive and then do the work that you do. So um, there, I think there's some solutions for us to explore that I think at last will definitely have a hand in, in in terms of unpacking some of these things. The Advantage Podcast Network is a part of or is birthed from the Advantage, right? They're already doing a lot of things like that. In fact, I think they were one of the first who were able to really start talking about entrepreneurial endeavors and working as a contracted worker and all that stuff. So tons and tons of stuff that we could talk through um, in that regard. But I think that's another solution 
that we can uh, maybe start trying to encourage people to, you know, so we're not so hypocritical, right? To Ted's point earlier, we can still in- invite people to come in, but we got to just let them know the real yeah. and trying to say, like, here are the things that we also have to do until we figure out some of these higher level issues, these systemic issues. I met you three very forward thinkers because of the profession. Yep. Yeah. It's a beautiful profession, man. And we've had some beautiful experiences, right? Facts. Facts. <laughs>